Hello, it's Rebecca from the Dead Darlings podcast. Before we get started, I just want to take a moment to apologise. Uh, we had some technical difficulties with this month's episode, so the sound quality wasn't great. I've managed to repair it so it doesn't sound like we're underwater, but it is still a little fuzzy. Really sorry about that. I hope you can still enjoy the show. We've got an extra special guest this month in that it's Laurie, one of the presenters of the Dead Darlings podcast, uh, talking about his new book, Biceps, which is out on the 15th of March and will be available from Burning Eye Books. He will tell you all about it right now. Thanks. Dead Darlings podcast. I'm Rebecca Cooney and I'm Hannah Hutzper. Dead Darlings is a monthly podcast for the spoken word community in London and beyond. Each month we'll be bringing you interviews, tips, inspiration and above all awesome poetry from London's spoken word scene. We'll also be telling you what's on and where you can submit your work. This month we'll be interviewing Laurie Eves who has not been allowed to introduce himself because he's a guest. Yes. I'm still here. You may have heard of Laurie Eves. <laughs> He's also one of the hosts of the podcast. <laughs> and we'll also be chatting about The Woman Who Wasn't There by Joelle Taylor. We'll also be hearing writing advice from Antonio J. King, and we'll be bringing you one of our favourite poems we've heard this month in our live poem of the month section. This month is Shania Pereira from Hammer and Tongue Cambridge. But first, what have you been up to this month? I won Hammer and Tongue Cambridge. Ooh. Heck yes. Yes. That was fun. Was that monthly or final? Uh, monthly. Mm-hmm. Monthly, yeah. So I qualified for the yes. final, so that's fun. Excellent. Yeah. When's the yeah. grand final? Uh, September. Excellent. So we'll see. And uh, who else was performing? Because, yeah, you went further afield before that gig. Yes, I did. So you saw more people, presumably. Yes, including Shania Pereira. And I will mm. get on to why we chose her later, but she was phenomenal. Um, yeah, who else was there? Uh, AJ was um, uh, doing was doing a feature. Antonia J. King. Antonia J. King was doing a feature, and that was awesome. And Dan Simpson as well yeah. was featuring. So, yeah, it was good. Cool. Uh, what else was on? Genesis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Genesis was great. Yeah. It's probably been a bit out this month, actually. Mm. How about I, you? So I saw Dan Simpson performing at Boomerang at their new home. Mm. Um, and I've, I, I've seen Dan Simpson on and off over the years quite <laughs> plenty of times. Mm. Hey, he's been a French housemate once. Uh, but yeah, I, f- I feel like he's sort of putting more of himself into the poems at the minute. I felt like he was showing, sh- sharing more emotion and more sort of personal experience, or so like having poems about growing up and his dad and mm. <laughs> degree of justified rage about the shitty housing market. <laughs> and I just feel like Dan's Dan's tended to be do very clever stuff, but be quite sometimes a bit emotionally neutral maybe mm. i've said clever is a word i associate with his poetry yeah yeah i felt like there was more kind of also very funny grit. yes yeah 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 clever is not a criticism but yeah but yeah i felt like there was kind of more grit and more of himself in the new stuff which mm. yeah mm. um <laughs> um and i was hosting insight which ah, i am yes. i am now I am hosting uh, for the rest of this year. So that's a monthly night. I've been doing the odd one here and there. Um, and Caroline Teague was hosting as well, mm. intermittently, but out there in Brighton. Yeah, I'm hosting it for the whole year. So I'm hoping to sort of build it up, kick it into gear a bit more. I think like when one person's got mm. it, you can kind of... There's a continuity. Yeah, there's a continuity and there's a level of just like being able to promote it well and yeah. stuff. Um, so, yeah. We're going to talk about how you're not gay enough to run it or? Uh, I mean, sure. Yeah. 
Um, so there was one. Uh, so it's it's a queer it's a queer open mic LGBT night, um, and there was uh, one woman turned up at the interval, um, and decided to throw lots and lots of shade that she thought I had not been advertising it at enough uh, lesbian events, uh, and that I had not been. I don't know. She just kept asking if I'd if I'd invited the lesbians, and I went, "Well, I mean, yeah, all of them. I yeah, don't lesbians yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> lesbian hive mind." Yeah. <laughs> so as I mean, the signal shines across the sky. What what does the lesbian signal in the sky look like? That's gonna no. I, <laughs> so I mean, I I sometimes do feel slightly self conscious that I I mean. I'm not straight. My girlfriend can tell you, but you know, I've got for for people who've not met me, I've I've got long hair and I don't dress particularly. I mean, I don't dress particularly femme, but I don't dress particularly butch either. And you yeah. know, shrug. Um, but yeah, there is. To be honest, I yeah, I sometimes feel self-conscious that I don't look lesbian enough, uh, and like don't tend to go to. That's not lesb- helped by people telling you <laughs> that you're not lesbian. So yeah, she she didn't really have any specifics about where I should be advertising. I advertise it at a number of queer places, mm. not explicitly lesbian per se. I, like, well, I mean, any of them, and I was like, do you have any suggestions? You clearly have some specifics in mind. She she had a couple of decades on me, so. It wouldn't surprise me if we've got different points of reference. Yeah, yeah. But, that's a fair point. Yeah. But yeah, she just, I mean, any of them, any of the lesbian places. So um, for, for for that nice lady and anyone else who'd like to know, uh, there is there is no, you need to be X, uh, X height, <laughs> X, X level visibly gay to attend. It is an opening, it, it is an open, welcoming. It is an open. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear. Oh, dear. you mate, you say one thing and then you mother. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway yes it is an inclusive night and i will work to make it a bigger and better inclusive night and if anyone cool wants box. to see my lesbian card i don't fucking have one i'm pansexual anyway <laughs> oh. wow. anyway moving on um yeah so so gatekeepers can get fucked um mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I don't I know. I think that goes for gatekeepers of any kind, really. Yeah, yeah probably. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, did the scoring at Genesis. Oh, this yeah. One. It was good fun. Um, Rebecca came second. It was a really uh, tense one. The winner, whose name escaped me now, but she was great, um, got slightly more than the two people who had joined second place. It was... Just oh, a, a, yeah. a nuts, nuts night, but it was great. It, it was. Fun. It was yeah. a lot of fun. This month's interview is with Laurie Eves because someone's got a book out. Mm. Yeah, we've not just randomly decided to start talking to ourselves. <laughs> <'cause it's>, uh... <laughs> We're having an existential crisis. That's, <laughs> that's the main reason. <laughs> Laurie Eves is a London-based writer. He's originally from Sussex, and his work has appeared in anthologies published by Poetry Rivals, Bad Betty Press, Allographic Press, Gug Press, and Spoken Word London. He's also featured in videos for Muddy Feet Poetry, Process Productions, and Team UK Youth Cycling. Yeah, I know. As in, as in the mm, sport. Yeah. Ah, awesome. <laughs> uh, Looks good on the bio, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. <laughs> Tell me what. And, and yes, cycling features a little bit in the collection. Mm. Um, he works regularly with the Poetry Takeaway, writing poems for strangers across the UK from the back of a burger van. He co-produces the Vogue on Poetry Slam with me and Ooh. Rebecca. And Rebecca, it's, it's just yeah. us. Yeah. <laughs> and 
you you might have heard him if you're listening to this. You Possibly. might you, you might have heard him as a co-host on the Dead Darlings podcast, which has an excellent name. It sounds really good. And you should yeah. really listen yeah. to that. I recommend it to all your friends. Yeah. In fact. Yeah. yeah, leave us a review, please, <laughs> please. <laughs> on everything, toilet walls. <laughs> His debut collection, Biceps, is published by Burning Eye this month. It is. So, Laurie, could you start off by giving us a poem? Yeah. Sure. I'll do this one. Um, It's called The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. When you come to collect your things, you ask if I've read The Life-Changing Magic of Tidying. I haven't. You say the secret is laying out all the objects in your home, weighing each one in hand. If they spark joy, you keep them. If not, you have to let them go. I wonder if one night, as I slept, you pressed your palms to my back and made your decision. So I remember hearing you perform that <laughs> one of the first times you when, when you first started showing that piece. And I remember coming back and telling my then girlfriend about this really powerful gut punch of a poem. And not long after, she dumped my ass. So Yeah. Fuck you, Laurie. Get off. I mean that's really what I was intending with this book. Is to really break up many relationships. <laughs> It's kind of a mess. And then I feel like Marie Kondo also really scuppered you with this because that book was a little bit, it was like some people do, but it was quite niche. Yeah. And then, and then sort of about what, the beginning of last year, she got the TV, the TV series. series yeah. yeah. And suddenly everybody knew who Marie Kondo was. Well, that's was. the thing. You write a book and you're like, oh, this is like a bit of a, bit of a cutting edge reference. Not everyone will get this, but, it, but it's fine. And then suddenly it's been two years. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, everyone knows that, mate. Like, everyone's written that poem now. It's done. Like, oh, and suddenly no. you're behind the time. <laughs> but, you know, that's just the way of it. Oh. Yeah. So that poem was a good starter because your book is all about... Well, yeah. I would describe it as a book about breakups, tidying and weightlifting. That's yeah. kind of the pithy <laughs> way of putting it. <laughs> so it's it's a narrative collection of me and Re- Becca both read drafts, um, and it's this. I'm not sure I'd seen a collection up until this point that that had such a clear narrative. This was admittedly before I read Deaf Republic, um, but um, but that yeah, all the pieces form a form form an arc together, and some of them individually wouldn't necessarily be that significant, but then based on where they're placed, yeah, they they yeah yeah. It, yeah definitely i mean it's it's the the big heavy concept album book right? <laughs> like, which is re- really weird and not what i thought i was gonna necessarily write it just kind of happened oh uh, okay yeah, so i was gonna say like so it's not something you kind of conceptualize this way from the beginning it's just no not really so i started working at, um in april 2018 mm-hmm. which was yeah nearly two years ago now i guess um and I was going through a lot of change, um, which was exciting and terrifying <laughs> and interesting. And, um, and as a result of that, I was writing a lot of stuff that I didn't really know what it was. Mm. And uh, I was also doing Tim Clare's Couch 20K at the same time. And then April was NaPoRimo. Mm. So it's just like, I'm just writing like everything all the time. Um, and then I didn't, I genuinely didn't really know what it was, like whether I was like 
writing bits of like a novel or whether it was like a play or whatever. And then I went for a pub lunch with my friend who is also called Laurie, but is not me. Um, I wasn't just with myself in the pub. <laughs> and uh, she was like, I think this might be a poetry book, um, which was exciting. Um, and yeah, but no, like setting out to be like, no, I'm going to write a narrative collection. Here are all the beats of the story. Isn't really how it worked. It was more like I shortlisted 40 poems. I've been writing for a long time. Mm-hmm. Like, 10 years I've been performing, um, which, yeah, mm. it's a very long time. Nothing from the first six years made it in <laughs> at all, um, which, you know, because it didn't fit. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, let's catalog how many poems I've actually got, including, like, ideas and things. And it was 170. Right. Yep. <laughs> I was like, that's too much. It's a long collection. <laughs> so I like, let's get it down to 40. And then, like, just printed and laid out 40 poems in my flat. And then just kind of started to group them together and see where the connections were. And then after you kind of saw the connections, you start to see what the theme kind of was. And then it starts to... Um, you start to realise there's kind of a natural order to it, and that's when it kind of started becoming a narrative mm. piece. But it was very, like, organic. It wasn't like, I am going to write a story. It was more like, I've got a lot of stuff, and it kind of just seems to naturally go as a story. I'm almost relieved to hear you say that, because it seems so carefully planned. Yeah. <laughs> the game yeah. was like, oh shit, have I been doing everything wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Who is this man that can start at the beginning of a story and just keep going in poems <laughs> until he gets to the end? Yeah. What it, is that? And it literally has a beginning, middle, and end. There's three parts, and it's like a beginning, middle, and end. Like, <laughs> it's weird. <laughs> like, but that, that, that's just because it's... It, occurred to me after I like started ordering them that it it made sense to be that way like mm-hmm. rather like it made sense for the project to be narrative rather yeah. than I am gonna write a narrative project like I don't think it would have worked mm. out that way mm. so that's kind of how it began mm. but then how how do you finish something like that because I, <laughs> I know you are something of a perfectionist like at what point <laughs> do you say no I think it's done I think this is it this is okay one, I don't particularly think of I'm a perfectionist. I think I work too hard and don't let myself off the hook. But that's... Yeah. Sounds this like a, you're describing. No, that's probably it. Is, is this like the time I said that you have everything thought through before you speak and mm. then you turned up with a list the following day of reasons that you do not overthink things? <laughs> <laughs> that oh did happen. God. That did happen, yeah. Oh no, you're right. You're right. Okay. Okay. You call it perfectionism. I call it... Not being as good as everybody else, and therefore feeling I have to work really, really hard. Um, so, what was the question? It was. How do you know when you finish? How do you know when you finish? Okay, so that moment happened about five or six times. I was like, yeah, this is done. Um, so, the first time, so going back to that April time, I then like had a draft of it by like June of 2018. I was like, yeah, this is not dumb, but it's like good enough to share with other humans. Uh, I shared it with Hannah. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't share it with Rebecca, just I don't know why. No, I think, I think you said to me after you'd sent it to Burning Eye, we're like, please don't give me any corrections. I saw it then and went, Jesus is polished. And then you just have been working on it nonstop since. Yeah. Um, and 
then I worked on it, so that was about June, I worked on it until November that year, 2018, um, when I submitted it, um, found out in January 29th, so that was the first time I was like, this is done, <laughs> like, it's done, then in 2019, in January, it, I, like, got it accepted, which was great, um, and then I didn't, uh, I didn't really look at it again for about six months-ish. That's good, actually, mm. taking a pause. Yeah, for quite a, for quite a while, which was, uh, I don't know, the publisher's re- recommendation, um, but at the same time, I was still writing. Like I was still mm-hmm. writing stuff. I was writing a lot of stuff again. I did NaPoRimo again in April. Um, so NaPoRimo, for people, I think we've mentioned it before, but people for people who don't know, it's uh, you write a poem every day for the month of April, so mm-hmm. National Poetry Writing Month. That's right. Yeah. Um, so I did that again, and just when I sat down again in like I don't know uh, Septemberish to look at it again. Um, I realised that some of the pieces that I'd written over the year fit with it. They fit with the project still. They were still around the same kind of themes, around the same kind of... Like, they fit well into the narrative enough that that it wasn't like, I'm just going to keep them for future. It was like, no, actually, this book is going to be slightly longer than I thought it was going to be. Cause, so I added six new pieces in 2019 to it um doing one filler but i'm not going to tell you which is the filler um <laughs> whichever uh, one you don't whichever like. one you don't like that's the filler one i was like it has 43 poems i hate 43 42 is a shit number i'm gonna make it 44 or 42 42 meaning yeah, like yeah. the universe and everything right. 44 is like okay that's a nice rounded symmetrical number mm. like 43 bullshit <laughs> so i have to write another poem um <laughs> But also, um, there was also like, like a couple of pieces where it was like actually, like having it as a story, there were bits where it's like actually I feel like there's almost like a little chapter missing, or like mm. there's a t- there's a beat or a tone that I haven't quite hit in this mm-hmm. yet, that I want to hit. Um, so there were a couple of times where it was like actually no, I've really got to push myself and, like you have an idea for. A part of the story you know that it would feel stronger more honest as a piece of work if you have it in there so I kind of just had to f- force myself to to get to those places um so I resubmitted it in like September October last year um and then got my final rounds of feedback earlier this year um and how many people were you sending it out too like i was I've, I've been so impressed at how many people you've solicited feedback from i got in this weird with my book like got in this weird kind of it felt egotistical to say i had a book coming out okay. and i therefore did not ask for a shitload of help that i probably should have so i went <laughs> so. completely the other way <laughs> um so there's several parts to that one is i said i was writing a so Going back to like April 2018, I was like, I'm writing a book. I'm going to tell people I'm writing a book because then I have to do it. <laughs> like, similarly, I told people I was going to go to Japan that year. And I went to Japan that year because you, once you start telling peer people you're going to do it, you kind of peer pressure yourself into having to do it. So I was like, okay, I'm going to tell people I'm writing a book. And then like 
Yeah, I was having a conversation with someone else the other day where they were like, I, would, I just wouldn't tell someone. I wouldn't tell anybody. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't want to put that extra pressure on myself. Whereas You put pressure on yourself. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I guess so. Um, I guess because I felt I would respond better to it. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, so I shared it originally with my friend Laurie, who was the first person to get me going on it. And you, Hannah, and t- two other writers... Um, including one who's a literary agent, um, because mm-hmm. I thought actually I don't, I don't want her perspective on the poetry. I want her perspective on does this work as a book, mm. which is a different Smart. angle. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, Hannah Gordon, who we've had on as well yeah. previously, um, and then later on, I had a, <laughs> had a chance. Charles train ride with Roger Robinson, and before he'd won the T. S. Before he'd won the T. S. Eliot prize, <laughs> and cheekily asked if he'd have a look at it, which he did. Which was already cheeky because he is huge. But yeah, I know. Sword, but, yeah. but he's an incredibly kind and generous person, and did yeah. and gave me more feedback, which was great. Um, and then towards the end, like towards the very end of the process, I still wasn't quite happy with it, including. We're talking a few weeks ago now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got another person in as a yes. consultant to help with the line breaks because, mm-hmm. and the white space, and you know, like yeah. look on the page because mm-hmm. I just, it was Amy Aker who we've had on before, mm-hmm. um, because I just want, I wasn't quite happy with that aspect of it mm-hmm. because I know I'm not as good at it. And <laughs> you want to bring on someone who knows what they're doing a bit more. To kind of bring it up a little bit. Tell us about the line breaks because you did have like it was like a proper existential crisis. And it's one of those things when you're sat at the side watching your friend go through it. There is there is fuck all you can do about that. To be honest, um, it's stupid. It's bizarre. <laughs> so so yeah. So did what? I'm did surprised you... you had any empathy at all. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so what did you learn about line breaks? Other what than did perspective? I learn? I learned that I had been really prescriptive to myself so when I was working on it at the very earliest stages I had this theory um, of I should look at the poetry books I like and go with the style and the, li- and the line break that they have gone with which um, is kind of the advice you get as a writer isn't it like go and go and look at other people yeah. you like and learn from them and I definitely do recommend doing that but I stuck to it really tightly so one of the book books I looked at that I really loved was Caroline Bird's In These Days of Prohibition. And one of the things I noticed about it was that she very rarely goes over about seven words per line. And so I'd been doing that throughout the collection. And actually what I learned was, although that style sometimes worked, it didn't always work. And actually I had to break myself out of the mindset of you've got to make it all work in this kind of cutter format and think more about each individual piece mm. and how it might work and look on the page mm. um, and that included in some cases like taking stuff and putting it in prose like mm. which is probably not in the versions that you guys have seen no. but mm. now there's a couple in there that are prose poems mm. um, because it just seemed to fit better yeah. um, which I wouldn't have done the start and that's interesting to kind of 
see your own habit and break out of it. Yeah. yeah. And it is the sort of thing line breaks, unlike probably other things in poetry, where you suspect deep down there might actually be a right answer. <laughs> and if there's a right answer, there is definitely yeah. several wrong answers. So, yeah. Yeah, there are. And, yeah, I think it's... um. I mean, the thing about that is you leave it till last because it's the bit that, for me, that I'm less good at. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I've never had any kind of training on it or had a really good workshop on it. Yeah, like, fair. I've had, mm-hmm. like, workshops on imagery, workshops on, you know, like, write, various aspects of writing mm-hmm. and training in that. I've never had a really good, strong... Here's here, a rule of thumb. Here's how you should be thinking yeah. about line breaks and white space. And so you leave it to the end because you're not as confident at it. And then it's the last thing you've got to do in the project, which you're, or you already know is the stuff that you struggle with. And I think that's the same with, this, with any creative project. Like, mm, yeah. the thing that you're going to leave to last, the bit that you're already frustrated with and can't do. And I think the only real way out of that is to try and get someone else's perspective mm. on it. But I mean, I think other people's perspective is something that we... I mean, we talk about this a lot on the podcast, I think. But, yeah. Edit. (laughs) Edit and ask other people because other people will see your blind spots. You're like, no, that's totally normal. Everyone does that. And then you realise that the everyone is your immediate nuclear family and you do a (laughs) weird thing that no one's heard of. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like like the the outside perspective is just so... Yeah. Offers so much that you couldn't... I mean, with the editing thing, like... I was at a writing retreat last year. Like, I I got the offer for the book. um, And... uh, People were like, oh, how did you, how did you do it though? And I was like, well, without joking, like for six months, I edited it like almost mm. every day, like Jesus. not, yeah. not, not quite, but you know, yes. like, oh, cool. like a lot, yeah. you know, like, and like the edit by far is much longer. like writing the draft took a few weeks, yeah, really. yeah, yeah. <laughs> like doing the editing is what. When is the edit over is the question, not when is the first draft (laughs) over is the question. And on a sort of flip side of that, like you have, like, you have infinitely more patience and work ethic, I think, on the editing and the polishing than, for example, like it it puts me to shame and it's made me go, shit, I really should (laughs) set my game up. But on the flip side, you've approached, like, you have a fucking book coming out. It's called Biceps. We haven't said the title often enough. Yes, Biceps. Um, 15th of March. um, (laughs) It's the launch day. Um, Your ambitions for the book, I think, are incredibly modest. And I realise that this question kind of reveals a bunch about myself. But, like, what drives you if not ego? (laughs) How do you have that much give a fuck when your actual ambition is like, well, I hope I sell... Some copies. I'd like, to, I'd like to sell fifty copies. Yeah, like how are you that fucking modest when you put that much? I think you are going to sell fifty copies. Yeah, yes. yeah. I've got six pre-orders, <laughs> so I would like to sell another forty-four to get, <laughs> to get it to fifty. Uh, like, but yeah, like what? What is your driving force to make it that polished and that good? When I don't know what I think of as the normal rewards, you don't seem to be sort of that greedy for. Um. Okay. But I think the answer is. Uh, what drives me to get, what drives me to, to do it in the first place is the the knowledge that you're going to die. <laughs> we just went off the deep end. <laughs> before you die, you want to leave something that you're proud of, mm-hmm. like in a very 
general sense. And I think that for me, like up until now, I've never done anything that I can say like, oh, I've really, this is a project that I've made. It's out. It's tied up with a big bow kind of a... Yeah, I saw Jasmine Gardosi last year with you, Rebecca, and she had her pamphlet, um, Hurts. And she said, this is the first thing I've ever finished. (laughs) 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 And I was like, yeah, good for you. And like, similarly, I feel like I've never really finished anything. (laughs) Like, not really. Not like, oh yeah, that's a thing that someone can go into a bookshop and buy. Like, and that, that is the, the driving force. And the driving force also is not, I mean, the ego, I mean, obviously it's nice to have a book, like definitely, but it's more like, what I would love is for in 20, 30 years time, someone to find a copy in a charity shop and go, that looks good. I'm going to get a copy. Like (laughs) that, that motivates me genuinely is the feeling that you're going to leave something that outlasts you Mm. um, is like, I find that exciting. Mm. I find that drives me. Uh, Also like, perfectionist is one word like I'm definitely a workaholic like mm. that that's true like I definitely feel like there was a point where I got the feed a round of feedback from burning eye and it was uh I was like okay here we go here we go and I opened it up and it was 13 comments on the manuscript one of which was a defense of the of the video game Final Fantasy 13 <laughs> <laughs> and I was like shit how do I work with... They like it. How do I work with that? Because, because then it's like, oh, okay. What the, I realised... The demon you're fighting I, is I, yours, in yeah, yourself. But yeah. what I realised was was that really I was very scared of letting it go. Mm. Like, on a very pure emotional level of, okay, this is now ready to let go of and let mm. be in the world. Mm. And it's very hard when... It's something like it's a very personal collection. Yeah, it's not mm. rapping about beetroot. Or... No, <laughs> it's <laughs> like because you're you're known for a lot of rhythmic, funny, yeah, wordplay I mean, stuff versus <laughs> this yeah. like very. It's not what some people are gonna expect. I mm. think from me, um, I mean, yeah, like I've been doing it, yeah, ten years. When I started, it was like raps, and it was funny stuff generally. Um, not always, but mostly. Um, and you know, like, I would never complain of this at all, but like, I think there are a fair amount of people who think of me and think of the ones that are kind of the novelty trademark, uh, mm. uh, poems. Like, uh, yeah, like your beetroot, like, uh, back at UEA, it was like Grumpy at 20 was like the hit. Um, <laughs> there's like, um, Tombstone, like there's a few big funny ones, yeah. and I will stand up for beetroot just because I love watching crowds when you do it because it starts as basically a, a kind of a very fast loud poem in which in which Laurie uh, extols the virtues of, virtues of beetroot and tells insists that people must eat beetroot repeatedly, yeah, uh, and aggressively, yeah, and at the beginning with of the increasing, poem, yeah, with increasing fervor, absurdity, yeah, um, and at the beginning of the poem you can see people kind of like what. The fuck is this and by the end of it 
and they don't even know why, but they're with you, and they're like, yeah, beetroot, eat beetroot, eat beetroot, and and it just, I love watching the change happen, I love it. and I love the fact that people have no idea why they now feel this way. I they love do. it. I mean, it probably makes me a promoter's nightmare because I'm just like. Okay, and here's a really serious poem about like you know emotions and feelings. And now here's here's a big rappy, giving it the big one like you know. Uh, I think it's it's funny. Uh, like I don't I don't have any problem with it. Like having these kind of very silly ones and very, very rhythmic silly things versus having. I mean, this book is not like that. You've got no. range. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> That's allowed. I know. It's more like you can, like when I first like was like going public with saying it I, I felt like I had to be like listen guys this is nothing nothing in this book rhymes not one poem rhymes <laughs> and for some people that might be a bit of a uh, unexpected thing hmm. but I hope it's a good thing yeah well, the album isn't anything like he is live yeah well, I mean, that's the other, that's the other thing actually is that not all of the stuff in the book I've done live, mm-hmm. so I've got now the exciting challenge of working out how some of it even works like, yeah. which is a weird way around to do it. Because like page pieces, I feel like you've got a lot of short pieces in the collection, mm. and I think that in terms of stage time, often very short unless yeah. it's a punchline, doesn't really work yeah. as much. Like, people haven't had time to get in. Yeah, they're it. kind of just getting settled down, and then it's ended, and they're like, sorry, what? I wasn't yeah. really following. I wasn't listening. So yeah. I think, yeah, the different different pieces work for different mediums, for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. yeah. Are you going to be... You're going to be... Re- the launch, I believe. Yes. When is the launch, the, Laurie? The launch... The book launch is on the 1st of April, April at the Poetry Cafe. It's uh, doors at 7, start at 7.30... Um, we've got Hannah Gordon, Hannah Hutzberg over across from me supporting. Mm. Also, we've got uh, Laurie Bolger supporting, and we've got Hattie Grunvold supporting. Wait, her name isn't Hattie, uh, isn't Laurie or Hannah? I know, her name isn't, <laughs> but her initials are RHG, oh, which okay. go with Hannah Gordon, so okay. there's a nice uh, little segue nice. going on. <laughs> Um, kind of dominoes of, of poetry notes. Yeah, so uh, that's wheelchair accessible, all ages. Um, and yeah, it's. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to be doing the book in full, um, which is exciting. Uh, and then there's a tour as well uh, off the mm. back of that, um, which I should have the dates for, shouldn't I? So uh, they will all be on our Facebook page. Yeah, that's and, all right. Uh, yes. we'll do that later. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, uh, doing various dates throughout April and May um, mm-hmm. to support it. And yeah, it's going to be exciting because I don't know how all of it's going to go down. And that's... That's how you grow yeah. Yeah. and build. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's all, you should write a poem about that. I should write a book too. <laughs> Ultimate Panda, I believe. Ultimate Panda. No, well, the... Yeah, that was true. I had a dream in which book two was the... I'd come up with the title and it was Ultimate Panda. So if the title is Ultimate Panda, then you heard it here first. <laughs> nice. Um, so your... Um, sorry. Uh, so music is something that's always been quite important to you. Mm. Do you think that's influenced this this book at all? Oh, massively. Yeah. Um, so two parts of the answer. Because, um, you know, I like to split things out. Uh, I'm going to tell you what the 
the rhythm is for both parts, no. Um, uh, so when I first started and was doing the rappy stuff, um, the fastest stuff, it was, was really influenced by a lot of uh, like prog rock, like tool. But that made and you do faster. It made me do stuff where I'd have a rhythm going one way, and then I'd switch it and go the other uh, way, okay. or have like multiple rhythms going on, uh, like polyrhythms and stuff. Just like I know that's like way over saying what I was actually doing, but like it's what I was thinking about when I was doing rhythmic stuff. Was how can I make this rhythmically interesting? Um, whereas for the book, um, yes, music was hugely important. Um, in the, and this is a th something that isn't really a thread in the book now, um, but I got super into U.S. hardcore punk <laughs> uh, in twenty eighteen. That is not that is not what I thought was the the the, the, the answer that I thought was coming. No, I? no, probably not. I can I'm going to ask you what you thought was coming in a minute. I got super into U.S. hardcore punk and uh, bands like. Minor Threat, and I was already kind of into Black Flag and the Rolling Band and uh, Minutemen. Um, and <laughs> what I'm I... not surprised given how like sparse a lot of the pieces are. Well, that's are. it. What I was fascinated by, particularly with like, and actually I like credit the band the Minutemen in the in the acknowledgements, <laughs> is like that song was brilliant. It was fifty seconds long. How how did you get across <laughs> the point of the song in fifty seconds? That's nuts, and it's like you just completely throw song structure out of the out of the window and, and just go. Here's the lyrics. They're like two lines. This is the point this song is making. Done. On to the next song. It's like the fast show almost. Yeah. Like that was created because they saw like a load of compilation clips and they're like that was as good as the whole thing. Yeah. And, they <laughs> and so I was just like fascinated by like that kind of very lean approach. Mm. That idea of like how. And it, that really informed the writing and editing process is how can I get across the point of this poem as succinctly and clearly as possible where I've not lost the meaning, like the, the meaning is still there, but there's no fat on it at all, um, which is why almost all the poems in the collection are one page maximum. Some of them are two, but none are more than that. Mm. Um, and yeah, uh, so, but you wouldn't get it tonally that mm. it's like hardcore yeah. punk. That's what. Yeah, that's what I was surprised. Like, what, what did you think it influenced? Well, Alanis Morissette. Oh obviously. yeah, God, yeah, yeah. Actually, no, that is true. I'm not sure how much of our Alanis Morissette jokes have actually made it into edits of the podcast. No, I don't know. Yeah, I think maybe when we were talking about Rupee Core, but apart from that, I don't know. We do have an ongoing joke about about Alanis Morissette, but I think it's mostly been cut. Yeah, it's a weird one. Jagged Little Pill doesn't like so much influence the book as you know, like everyone's life. You know, <laughs> But there's definitely this, this uh, I mean, yeah, like a lot of it started as diary entries and free writes. Um, like I started keeping a diary in September 2017 um, and I've kept it up since, um, which makes writing a hell of a lot easier because you always have something to go back to and go, oh yeah, I saw that interesting thing yesterday. I'm going to write about that. Mm. Um, and like free writes yeah i was doing yeah i mentioned the couch to 80k course from tim claire um and also doing words down and most weeks that year in 2018 and yeah it was um 
so doing a lot of freelance. So a lot of it started as prose. Mm. Lots of the pieces started as prose bl- brain splurges, which I hadn't really worked that way before. Um, mm. The way I'd been working before was like, okay, I've got an idea. On Sunday, I've got an hour. I'm going to sit down and, and I'm going to mm. have a go at it. Whereas I, I've learned that is not the way to, for me to do it. The mm. way for me to do it is just keep writing crap <laughs> in the hope that like one percent of it is decent and then mine out that one percent as i edit like, and then crush it into and then it crush a it. diamond yeah exactly um so yeah like some of the pieces in the book as i say like most of them are a page or less and some of them that are in there started as like five or ten page free writes mm. um which is kind of why they have that sort of diary-ish tone of, mm. like, Jack Little Pill. Um, and, yeah, when I, <laughs> when I first worked out what the book was really all about, I, like, yeah, messaged Laurie and was like, I think this is going to be Jack Little Pill. I just have a big feeling. Um, but then you kind of just have to go with it. I mean, there's a big part of me that's thinking, like, even now, it's, like, absolutely terrified for people to read it. Uh, <laughs> And terrified for myself in a year or five years looking back uh, on it, mm. or ten years looking back on it, or maybe I'll do like a Lannis and do a twenty fifth anniversary tour. <laughs> I don't know, but like, I'm already slightly, you know. Yeah, because yeah. it's a very particular moment in your life and a kind of very particular sort of yeah period and a narrative and a period. Yeah. Um, so for the for the podcast, it, it's uh, it about uh, the end of my relationship, my previous relationship um, which lasted seven years I lived with a person for three years it's about the that relationship happening about it eventually ending and about kind of moving on from that um, and so yeah that's a big a lot of stuff to go through and a lot of stuff that's in in the book so it's yeah very personal and uh, yeah about how how you sort of disentangle a life when you've been together for that length of time yeah I mean a big like moving house moving objects like Mm. yeah a big part of it is about that and about like relearning your like sense of self Mm. Mm. independently of a relationship is kind of a large part in the third part of the book large thread to that third part so um yeah that's what it's really about and so for elevator pitch this is for anybody who needs help <laughs> anybody help. who's been yes, through anyone who needs help <laughs> Any, yeah. anyone who's been through uh... i'm drowning throw me laurie's book <laughs> no but i, I genuinely yeah. think like if if i know someone who's just had a really shit breakup like because mm. it, it ends on a hopeful note it goes through it ends on a thankful note. It yeah. En- it ends on um, a very sincere um, feeling of, of gratitude for having uh, had that relationship. And I think what the book is trying to achieve, um, which again is something you have to think about when you work on something like that, where it's so project e. Mm-hmm. is I think that it, it, it aims to say that we are who we are as a result of the relationships that we have um, 
and that should be thankful for that um, in every circumstance and when a relationship or a friendship or a family relationship ends um, we should be very thankful for what it gave us and what it's contributed to our sense of self. Mm. And I think all good things must come to an end, so that seems like a, a good note to end the interview on. <laughs> it does seem like a good note to end the interview on. So, if a little cheesy. Sorry. Thank you for having me. Um, <laughs> thank you very much. What would you like to plug? What would I like to plug? <laughs> <laughs> what was it called again? So, the book is called Biceps. It is out on 15th of March. Um, and it is available to pre-order now through my web shop, which is laurieves.bigcartel.com. And it will also be on Burning Eye's website, um, burningeyebooks.co.uk. It will also be in some bookshops, but you might have to ask for it. <laughs> <laughs> and... Uh, so that's our 15th of March officially. We've got the book launch. It's on the 1st of April at the Poetry Cafe mm-hmm. um, at 7pm doors. Um, there's also tour dates around it happening in April and May. But maybe we'll talk about those on the April and May podcast. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And all this information will be on our Facebook page, as ever. <laughs> Now it's time for our tip of the month. We've asked one of our favourite poets for a piece of writing advice or a prompt which you can use in your own work. This month, Antonia J. King shares her thoughts. Take it away, AJ. So my tip for poets would be to free write. Um, I was initially really stubborn when I first heard about free writing because it was something that happened at every workshop I would go to and I kind of used to roll my eyes and think, that isn't how I write, but I have found it... Um, really beneficial to my writing and to unlocking thoughts I didn't even know I had um, that then turned into some of my favourite poems of mine so my tip would be to give free writing uh, a chance So now it's time for our book of the month which this month is The Woman Who Wasn't There by Joelle Taylor chosen by Hannah Hannah, why did you pick this book? So I was having a really hard time picking and Rebecca suggested this one and I went, fuck yes I really like that book (laughs) Um, yeah, and, uh, so this is one that I, I had read, I think around the time it came out, I'm flipping it open, it says copyright 2014, I bought it off Joel Taylor at a gig and really, really enjoyed it. I mean, enjoyed as a, like, it's fucking good. It's not always enjoyable in the sort of, yeah, it's, it's very strong, it's often bleak, um, there's a rawness to it, isn't there? Yeah. Heck yeah. Um, and yeah, I've been rereading it for ahead of this. And I found that it's so sparse. As someone who defaults to waffling and then has to edit <laughs> it out, this is so sparse and so. It's basically all imagery, but strung together in a very cohesive narrative way. Um, yeah, I was going to say, it is because it is sparse, but it is image after image after image. After yeah. image and like really strong images, but it is quite a kind of almost sensory assault mm. in some ways because it's such, it's just a visceral image after a visceral image after a visceral image. Yeah. And there's certain, one of the, it, it really, it's not a narrative exactly, but there are very, very strong uh, overlapping themes and even certain images that keep coming up like... Um, mouths described in unpleasant things that aren't mouths being described as mouths Hmm. either wounds becoming a mouth to sort of speak your truth or um people eating themselves 
or once at one point a smile is described as uh, like a picket fence with peeling paint and another time a mouth a smile is described like American Express there's there's virtually no similes in this mm. but the metaphors come yes quick yeah. and fast and it's almost made me think of beatniks while rereading it and I don't know if that's just that it makes me kind of inspired in a way yeah. that um, I used to get slightly hyper on really random bits of beatniks when I was like in my late teens mm. or if it's it's that kind of creation of an almost kind of dream world is the wrong wrong thing but it's kind of slightly bizarre landscape that mm. I think goes on in a lot of beatnik poems as well even even though it's like a very realistic and kind of gritty landscape yeah know, it's tower blocks and it's council states and I don't know yeah like, there's almost this like kind of almost synesthetic blurring of like tower blocks are described as tombstones as mm. teeth like tower blocks I think turns yeah. up but also um tower blocks like advent calendars yes yeah. at one point there was a uh tower blocks described like advent calendars with, with sharp teeth where there should be chocolate I mean you know you can see the kind of the grid of the windows yeah it works there's a lot about identity in terms of so Joel Taylor is queer and pretty pretty damn butch as well so it's a lot about so stylus is about dressing like a sharp sharp and masculine and i think the final line of it let me find it uh, pity those fathers whose daughters are men much much better than them mm. which is yeah there's a lot about trying to find identity when your role models were shite yeah <laughs> and and where you fit when you are not traditionally feminine but also it's not like the masculine world is going, welcome. Yes. Um, <laughs> and there's a lot about war. There's a lot of violence. Mm. Um, one of the ones that I've heard Joelle Taylor performing the most is Crystal Kisses. But it's got a line about um, they, they told you not to join a gang, but not that you would grow up in one. Mm. And that the people... Oh, and this one is kind of... I, yeah, I love this one because it's, it's got that kind of fairy tale thing going on as well. Mm, but uh, so dark and subverted. Yes, and yeah. Flipped. Like it's kind of a, a broken up Rapunzel or a kind of... You know, it starts, girls at the top of ivory tower blocks, cut your hair. Your bandana pimp charming will not save you. He has already betrayed you. He is not climbing but pulling. Which is just like, yeah. Like it's just this twisted, really dark take on it. The line about... Um, yeah, they tell you not to join a gang, but not that you'll grow up in one, that these are your friends, these razor-mouthed men, not those same boys who once dealt Pokemon in the playground, and now shot in crack and blow and smack and snow. It, it, the way that the advice you're given yes. just doesn't even touch the sides of what reality is. Yeah. Another, another image that I noticed turned up a few times is hips subverted in different ways. Um, they mentioned shark fin hips mm. in one thing, describing someone who's very thin or, um, yeah, the, the dysmorphia, I guess. Yeah. Dis discomfort with, dis and discomfort that comes from trauma, quite clearly. I love Joel Taylor's work so much, and I feel like I'm really failing to <laughs> pull yes. out. Um, I think the one kind of, probably one of the few kind of bits of relief in it is, is Higgs and Boson, uh, which is a really, a kind of a sort of very beautiful love poem. Let's forget the past and remember the future. Let's walk from one side of the city to the other. Let's meet at midnight. Higgs and Boson, silent, exploding sapphire, somewhere in the precise and perfect centre. It's just very gorgeous. Mm. Mm. Um, which is kind of, yeah, it kind of contrasts a lot with, with kind of the stuff that is on either side of it. And, and I feel like the pieces are also very aware of, oh, even the intro, actually. I'd forgotten about the 
introduction, which... What the, the epigraphs are the... Uh, preface. Ah, yeah. Imagine this page is an empty theatre. No one has arrived yet. A poet stands in the centre of a deserted, deserted stage. She talks into a microphone that will collect all of her words and add them to the thousands of other voices kept safe within it. And it has this... Oh, it's like a... I like... Do you know what? I burn this book for ages and I've never looked at the preface. Yeah, it's like a... Oh, a that's so good. And it's gorgeous. And it... It's like a it's like a very poetic opening curtain. I mean, yes. it, it literally describes yeah. the theatrical space, but it's which is quite a nice kind of you know if you're talking about that sort of um, dichotomy between um, page and stage poetry. Mm. That's quite a, it, it's quite a beautiful way of, of bridging that gap and kind of saying no. And you know, kind of she goes on to say um, these poems are written quietly with my tongue. They are meant to be spoken mainly to yourself. So. Yeah, like this kind of, no, no, these are poems for speaking out loud. They happen to be on a page, but that's not what they're for. And also that Joelle Taylor is like, I mean, she 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 put together Slam Ambassadors, I believe. Mm. She's been she's been performing and then teaching workshops in schools, in prisons, all over the shop yeah. um, for many, many years. So there is a kind of, there's a confidence. There's also a kind of understanding of the legacies and the traditions and also how much this is for everyone yes um like yeah. there is there's a lot of knowledge and it's worn very lightly mm. like there isn't there isn't a shred of snobbery in this but there's a lot of knowledge and there's a lot to back it up yeah. um, i feel like she is somebody you would show to someone who thinks that poetry is for snobs or poetry is not for everybody or poetry is not for me or whatever the mm. the thing is i feel like yeah you would sit down in front of joel taylor and go shut up and listen yeah yeah <laughs> definitely and there's pieces like um international pen pal which is about it has a very short preface about the fact that taxes fund the military, hmm. um, and specifically in relation to um, the war in Afghanistan, this was published in 2014, but that as a working poet, the poem is about the fact that as a working poet, she knows that some small percentage of her money funds war crimes. <laughs> it begins, this poem is a bullet, each hammered word, the march of boots. Each strike of type, a semi-automatic rattle. I have written armies. Do not listen to me. It's it's difficult. She is not shy yeah. of the difficult, strong. Like there, there is no shying away. There is no hedging language. Yeah, everything is image after image after image, and they are all very carefully crafted. This poem wants to be a roof. It wants to be wood, a school desk, a bus seat. It wants to be the correct spelling of a name, a sleeping relative, silence. This poem wants to be a poem. But this poem is a bullet. A real poet would not write it. Mm. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Yeah, there's a, another look. I, I feel like dri- grabbing bits out of context is kind of wrong. But, um, but you're also like, this is so beautiful. <laughs> yeah. But there's a bit of... Um, uh, this This poem lies silent beneath dusty roads or wakes at the outskirts of woods or bursts into a house at 3am, sobbing through oiled shotgun barrel eyes with the mouths of mass graves. This poem has lined up relatives against walls and told them to dance. Um, and I feel like sobbing through oiled shotgun barrel eyes with mouths of mass graves is actually, it's among the darker images in the piece, but also I feel like that's kind of representative in a way that oiled shotgun barrel eyes, you can, body, yeah. body parts described in horrific yeah and mechanical terms and yeah, who's yeah. the gun, who's the man. Yeah, there isn't and a separation there. mouths of mass graves, also like yeah. mouths, especially mouths, umbilical cords. Like there's some, yeah. some body body related imagery that is inverted repeatedly throughout this. Mm. Which... So yeah, so yeah, we both love this book. 
I'm genuinely rereading it to, to swat up and talk about it now, and I'm not sure I've gathered my thoughts in a particularly useful way. Sorry. Sorry, Joelle. I love you. I found myself rereading this to talk about it. I've, I've been going through a dry patch creatively, <laughs> and I've, it, it's just, it's so bold and it's so strong that I found myself getting kind of mm. inspired and scribbling down ideas for things I maybe want to do Amazing. in a way that I haven't for ages. Um, and it's full of those lines where it kind of hurts a little bit to put me like, oh, should I oh i wish that's that's a good image mm. oh god that makes so much sense why didn't i ever think of it like yeah mm. and i really love these sort of repeating images that turn up throughout that's that's something i would like to work with a bit more uh so that's the woman who was not there uh it is published by burning eye books so yeah no we would thoroughly recommend this book we love it we don't think we've done it justice at all. So no. Absolutely go read it. And go see Joelle perform as well. She's performing a couple of times as well. Oh, she is a fucking powerhouse. Now it's time for our notice board section. Letting you know what poetry nights are coming up this month, where you can go to perform your work or submit it for publication. So starting with events in London, uh, on the 1st of March, we've got Salt Poets at the Boulevard Soho, which is a showcase of poets published by Salt Publishing House, um, including Peter Daniels, Kirsten Irvin, Tony Williams, Matthew Haig, John Stone and Eleanor Rees. Also on the 1st of March, uh, Molly Marsham is doing a show, This Poo Shall Pass, <laughs> which we've plugged before at the Vaults Festival, uh, which is at the Horse and Stables in Waterloo at 7pm. I'm going to that. I've got a ticket booked, so I'm really excited for it. That's very cool. I'm hoping to go, but I'm not sure if I've got something else on. So we'll see. On the 2nd of March, it's Word Up Spoken Word, and they have got Disraeli doing yeah, a solo yes. show and Dean Atter at the Royal Oak. So fucking get on that no don't i'm getting a ticket first then you're allowed to buy a ticket yeah <laughs> have a night. And also on the second of march we've got uh chocolate poetry club's fire which is their open mic uh, at um the, uh, the clapham north in clapham on the third of march and i think for a few days after that as mm. well you might have to check their website um it's too pretty to punch with adalia day and that's at the Vault Festival. I think it's at the Vaults in Waterloo, but I'm not 100% sure. But definitely check it out because it's an mm. awesome show. Yeah, we had them as live poem of the month, um, the second or third episode, I believe. Yeah, and I've seen that. I've seen the show. It's absolutely incredible. Definitely I've been go. meaning to see the show for yeah. ages. So like, yeah. don't hang about. Go yeah. and see it. Also on the 3rd of March, uh, 3rd of March seems to be the Clash Claxon Day. Uh, <laughs> I will sort out a sound effect for that. <laughs> Uh, we've got Word of Mouth at Folklore, featuring Jamal Hassan, Billy PN and Tanaka Fuego, which is a great lineup, actually. On the 3rd of March, it's Hammer and Tongue in Hackney at the Book Club. On the 5th of March, it's the Genesis Slam. Ooh. I've got a, I've got a slot! Yes, Laurie yeah. has a slot! It's taken me about a year, but it's finally got a <laughs> yeah. slot. Genesis, Genesis divides slam. its slots up into, there's 18 slots, 6 for women, 6 for men and 6 for non-binary slammers. Which, it has to be said, does make it harder to be a man. To be fair, men have it easier in almost every walk of life. <laughs> well, yes, yes. So, I think we can all suck it up. <laughs> On the 6th of March, we've got some more feminism with She Growls at the Poetry Cafe, uh, with Maki Akinteo and uh, Ollie O'Neill headlining. Uh, on the 9th of March, it's Danez Smith in conversation with uh, Travis Alabanza. At Sutton House, which is sold out already. <laughs> but, I'm surprised. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sold out already, but you can sign up for returns on Eventbrite and cross your fingers that yeah. someone else can't make it. Good luck. Yeah, because if not, I'm getting those returns. On the night, there's Charlotte Gita, or perhaps Gator, apologies if I'm mispronouncing it, and Susanna Dickey have a pamphlet launch at Seth Dolson. 
Uh, on 10th of March, What You Saying is an open mic at Project B in Croydon, which I've been to before and ended up going to the wrong door. Uh, Fun story. Ended up um, kind of basically got to the time and I just I was the only one there. So I just went up this little door, ended up in a belly dancing class. Wow. And all these people <laughs> looked at me like, are you here for the belly dancer? Like, Amazing. No, the so, and Kind of ended up going up a flight of stairs and down so, two flights of stairs. So don't go to What You Saying. Yeah. Go to the belly dancing class. <laughs> yeah. Was it good? Would you recommend it? I, I ran away to the poetry. Yeah, fair. That's less expo- exposing my soul is, is is less scary than exposing my belly. Frankly, <laughs> uh, do go to what you're saying. But what yes, you're saying. Yeah. Like. Also on the tenth of March, it is Boomerang Club, and it's number it's it's number sixty. I can't believe they are counting still. Yeah, but still. I'm impressed. Uh, and the features are not yet announced. That's, That's set, not true thing. because they oh. announced one of them. Couple of hours ago, Coco oh. Brown. Ah, we didn't ooh. update the script. Live news on the 11th and also on the 25th. Um, there's a workshop happening called Let's Write at the South Bank Centre. It's hosted by Desiree, um, which sounds really cool. I, I, I went along to the first one though, so oh, it's was it really good? good. Yeah, really is good. Is it like a themed thing or is uh, it? No, she just kind of does exercises and stuff like that. But awesome. yeah, it's really like Desiree's brilliant, so like, yeah, it's really good. Great. Uh, on the 16th, again, we've got um, Chocolate Poetry Club Fire, and this is at the Camden Eye, and Ryan Sinclair is headlining. On the 19th, it's Penting West at Bush Theatre with Anna Paz and Jamal Hassan. On the 24th, it's Gerald Taylor and Bad Belly Poets, plus an open mic at uh, Pages in Cheshire Street. It's a really cool bookshop. If, uh, if anyone has not been, it's a feminist bookshop. Just loads of cool books in there. The, in fact, completely independently of, of the event, go to Pages in Churchill Street. It's really awesome. It's just off Brick Way. Oh, okay, cool. Uh, on the 26th of March, there's Outspoken Live, which is at the Purcell Room at the South Bank Centre, and Jackie Kay is headlining. Heck yeah. On the 26th, it's Penting Central, which is at Seth Dolston, and the headliners are Poet Curious and Just Ori. Um, also on the 26th, it's Speak Equal. Also on the 26th, it's Speak Equal at the Jago Dalston, and it's featuring Michelle Taywood. On the 27th, it's Once Upon a Mic, and that's at nine. On the 27th, is Once Upon a Mic at the Castle, which is in Old Gate East, and I don't know who they have yet, but uh, it's always a good night. Uh, and then once again, uh, there's the Words Down Writing Group every Tuesday as well. And that's a Rubio in Harleston. And outside of London, uh, on the 4th of March, it's Words and Verses at Manor Ballroom Ipswich. On the 6th of March, it's the Uni-Slam Finals at the Birmingham Hi- Hippodrome. I don't know who's in that, but it's bound to be good if it's the final. And it's a Hippodrome full of poetry. A Hippodrome of poetry. <laughs> All poetry should come in Hippodrome. That's an awesome one. measurement. <laughs> on the 6th of March, it's Hammer and Tongue Cambridge, uh, featuring Tina Sederholm and Neelam Sarita Braley. On the 11th of March, it's Big Trouble with Jake Wildhall and Jake Nathan. And that is in Rochester. Um, at the Rams Micropub. On the 12th, it's Grizzly Pear, um, International Women's Day. And that's at the Bristol Pear. But once again, folks, the <laughs> Bristol Pear is not in Bristol. It's in Birmingham. Yeah. Crazy. O- only only three idiots would think it was in Bristol. I know. <laughs> Don't write in. Don't at me. Alicia Kadir, Amy Aker, and Charlotte Gita or Cater. Again, apologise. Oh my god, that's a heck of a title. On the, also on the 12th, and it is at the Safari Lounge in, in Edinburgh, there is Dead White Anarchists. Uh, also, that's performing again uh, on the 23rd at Mooring Cafe in Canterbury, and the 26th at Hausman's Radical Booksellers in London, which is the, the awesome anarchist bookshop where they've got um, a bust of Churchill with AstroTurf in a mohawk. <laughs> like that time there was the Gorilla Gardening. <laughs> Dead White Anarchists is a show by Paul Case, I believe. 
Uh, on the 13th of March, as part of the Power of Women Festival in Margate, it's the Power Slam with Birdspeed and Maggie Harris. That is the uh, national uh, champion, Birdspeed. Mm. Yes. Heck yeah. On the 13th to the 22nd of March, it's Lyra Bristol Poetry Festival, and there is a load of stuff on for that. Too much for us to list here. So go on their website, um, on their social media, there's a lot going on. Uh, on the 18th, it's Roisin Crowley Linton at the Room Above in Bristol. She's a really good poet. Also on the 18th in Canterbury, Disraeli is doing a feature a feature set at the Lickety Spit Slam, which is still one of my favourite titles. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> bringing it, Kent. On the 27th, uh, Carmina Masolova's Circles Tour continues, and there's a date at the Reverb Chamber in Gravesend. On the 28th, there's the HLF 2020 Poetry Slam at Little Seeds in Huddersfield, with Rose Kondo and Kieran King hosting. That's for Huddersfield Literature Festival. Ah, thank you. I was wondering. And on the 29th, it's Allographic, run by uh, Faye Roberts, who's been on the podcast before. And that's at CUC Wine Bar in Cambridge. Uh, Ken Cumberledge is the guest artist in the evening open mic, and Faye is doing a performance workshop in the afternoon. If Faye told me they don't like podcasts. Yeah. I am shocked and appalled. Yeah. But, you know, they liked ours, they said. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> we should put that on a poster. Yeah, <laughs> don't like most of them, but you're all right. Anyway, uh, submissions. Yeah. Uh, this month we're just going to put the submissions on the Facebook and uh, Twitter threads, so you can just see them straight away on that. So yeah, that was the notice board. In a moment, we're going to have our live poem of the month to play us out. But before we do that, anything you want to plug? Ah. So, please the plug. I am Hannah underscore Hutzpah on Instagram and Twitter, and I am Hannah Hutzpah Poet on Facebook. Uh, I have hannahhutzpah.com as a website where you can peruse my back catalogue. Yeah, and, and also you can follow my baby Dragons of London on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, uh, where I'm recording the unique biodiversity of London's dragon population. Okay, and you can find me on Twitter at Rebecca K. Cooney, on Instagram at any name but Becky, and my website is www.rebeccakcooney.wordpress.com. I know, I've already done my plug, but I'm yeah. just going to say it again. Okay. Yeah. Uh, the book is out 15th of March, and you can pre order now from my website, which from my from my web store, which is laurieeves.bigcartel.com. If you want to follow the podcast, you can find it on Twitter at DeadDarlingsPod and Instagram at DeadDarlingsPod. Facebook is DeadDarlingsPodcast and you can email us at DeadDarlingsPodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you like what you heard, please remember to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and help us spread the word. That would be very lovely of you. We'd love some reviews. Thank you. Um, our poem of the month was performed by uh, Shania Pereira at uh, Hammer and Tongue Cambridge last month. So I chose this one because she basically just got up and she'd never done a slam before. I think she'd maybe written the poem or done the poem a few weeks before. And I, I think she did She did a bit what I did on my first slam, which was not being entirely clear that it's a slam or okay. that it's a competition. Didn't really understand what was going on there. And she just, yeah, she was so nervous before. And she got up on stage and she just blew everybody away. And it is a little bit rough around the edges, but it is fantastic. And uh, she actually won. Uh, but she went over and lost on uh, no, lost on points. Yeah, yeah, which is how I came to win, <laughs> which uh, I feel a bit bad about. So yeah, sorry about that. Do you fall? Do you fall? <laughs> yeah. So you won by all this stuff earlier in the show, when you said you'd won it. Yeah, yeah, I. Uh, yeah. Rules. But then, yeah, a couple of months before, I had won some on points the and then lost. Uh, yeah, so. Karma. Yeah. Around about yeah. Yeah. Uh, you win some. You uh, win some. By, by default. Yeah, by default. <laughs> yeah. 
so but no she was just fantastic so yeah so this is Shania Ferreira uh, before we share Shania's poem with you, I just want to say thank you to Shania for letting us showcase her work. Thank you to my co-host, Hannah Hutzper, to Laurie Eves, and to Texas Radio for our theme music, and to you for listening. Bye! Bye. Uh, we're going to get up to the microphone. Shania, give it up for her! My, uh, black hole is a large, dense compaction of thoughts, matter, in a very small space. It creates a gravitational field so strong that not even light can escape. The theory of cognition, sorry, I mean general relativity, sees how black holes are possible, as it explains the force of gravity with the changes of space-time geometry caused by the presence of mass energy, E equals mc squared. When you died, when a supermassive star died, mm. a super dense core remains, full of energy, <laughs> crying maybe for a release. Don't remind me why I fight. A black hole is created when the force of depression, sorry, gravity, overwhelms all the other present forces. We can't directly see black holes, but we can observe their effects on other nearby matter. (laughs) Irritability. Silence. Isolation. Maybe they're hurting so much that they don't care about how they're affecting other people. Maybe if everyone knew how much they hurt, they wouldn't question how the supernova occurred. Why'd you do that to yourself? Black holes have an imaginary surface known as the event horizon. Because light curves in, we wouldn't actually see your body, I mean atoms, getting pulled apart by the black hole. Just the frozen image of you entering it, trapped by the sheer intensity of your thoughts. We don't work, we don't fit, sorry, I mean quantum mechanics and general relativity don't fit. General relativity, sorry, quantum mechanics rules include, crudely put, Heisenberg's principle of uncertainty, uncertainty, outlining the idea that I, sorry, I mean electrons, take energy but need to give them back to you. The time you put into them, of course, you need to, I need to give back the time I put into you. Sorry, the larger the energy used, the less time given to pay it back. Two. The total probability of an event occurring is the sum of all probabilities of the different possibilities. Three, E equals mc squared. Four, the theory of black holes. Okay, if an electron moves from left to right, it can emit a photon, but it must be reabsorbed to pay it back. You gave me so much energy, but I could barely get out of bed to thank you. This can happen in so many ways. Rule two, the sum of possibilities to get a probability of an event occurring is finite. This is good, it shows quantum fluctuation. If it's infinite, this is bad. This is wrong. When you said that you'd love me to infinity and back you were wrong, I didn't realize your love was conditional. Mm. What if energy, when paid back, could be paid back by another particle? No problem. So another particle will be emitted for a short amount of time. Getting more help and support from other people seemed to help for a short amount of time. So add more particles, right? Let's link general relativity to quantum mechanics. A graviton is moving from left to right. It can emit other gravitons. Probability of outcomes, infinity, that's fine. Add another particle. Just like you added more support. You called 999. You called an ambulance. I went to hospital. If we do the maths, we get a huge mass from the new particle created, aka a lot of energy, meaning it will not exist for a long amount of time. You will not exist for a long amount of time. Because if we do use the fourth rule, a densely packed amount of mass equals a black hole. And the problem with that is in the middle there's a singularity. And we're stuck at an infinity again. It's flawed. You were childish to think that this incomprehensible situation would be fixed. That I would be fixed. (laughs) Woo!